0: And there was something about being in the hospital and having suffered this heart attack and being hooked to a monitor. I remember looking down at my backpack and slipping my hand in and pulling out my sketchbook. I remember taking this deep breath in and just resolving to document the experience.
1: Hello and welcome to the Sneaky Art Podcast. I'm your host, Nishant Jain. Today, I'm speaking with London-based educator, artist, and author Jeff Schmidt about his book, Heart Attack, Finding Hope, Joy, and Inspiration in Adversity. This conversation is about the big and the small things that can transform our life in unexpected ways. The big thing in Jeff's life was a sudden heart attack in December 2020 that prompted a short stay at the hospital. The small thing in Jeff's life was his spontaneous decision to grab a little bag just as he left home that night. Inside it were his sketchbook and art supplies. Jeff speaks about the isolating experience of being on a hospital bed during early COVID. He shares the mental, physical, and emotional turmoil of this experience. We talk about how drawing helped him find inner peace and a connection with the people around him. We talk about the process of putting together his lovely book, to which you can find links in the episode description. We also talk about other books and other art and so much more. About how a sense of his own mortality prompted Jeff to live inspired, to start to pay attention to the things that give him joy and to make room for them in his life. I hope you enjoy the episode. Good afternoon, Jeff, and welcome to the Sneaky Art Podcast. I am absolutely delighted to speak with you today. Oh uh, well, Thanks for having me, Nishant. One of the unique pleasures of having your own podcast is that you get to decide how you're going to do things and you get to go into a subject in any way you like, in any style you like, and talk about things to any level of depth that you like. Mm. Uh, There is a point of curiosity from which I want to start and then we can go a little back and forth and uncover the rest of everything around it. But uh, after a heart attack, you're in the hospital recovering and in the middle of this, there is a sketchbook and art supplies. So how did a sketchbook come into this mix? Great question. Uh, So, um, I mean,
0: I've always loved creativity. I've loved art and sort of drawing, sketching. uh, But it's sort of fallen off uh, the wagon and other parts of life had taken over. And um, it was uh, the summer of 2020. Uh, I had or just, uh, discovered this concept of urban sketching and, um, and I was, I was drawn to it. You know, there's this sort of soul force that just sucks you in and, and, um, uh, do you know an artist called Le Pan? Yeah. So I, I, uh, I came across one of his, his courses on, uh, Domestika, uh, and it just, um, uh, I was just really interested in his, his, his approach, um, and so that just kick-started getting back into art, and uh, I just started carrying my sketchbook around with me. Uh, and I'd just I'd done a little bit. I would go to the cafes, and um, just while I was sort of sitting on benches and stuff, I would I'd try and catch a few moments to sketch. And um, it was uh, December 5th, 2020, and uh, I was at work, and I had this... Bizarre feeling in my chest, uh, and because this was at the uh, the height of COVID, <laughs> uh, I, I thought um, I know exactly what this is. This is this is COVID, and this is probably one of these side effects. And I just felt this real sort of intense feeling in my my chest. And I and I, I reckon I was quite a, a healthy guy, or I I felt I was uh, quite active. I ate relatively well. I don't smoke or really drink. And and so I just thought, you know, this is, uh, I, I was healthy. So a heart attack didn't even go through my my head, but sort of as I was sitting there, as I was talking to uh, one of my colleagues at work and I, I felt this tightness in my chest and I could feel it, uh, this pain coming up through my chest up into my, my teeth. I was aware of my teeth uh, and I started sort of sweating. Uh, and I can't remember what that conversation was about, but um, after about sort of five, ten minutes, it just slowly subsided. I thought, "Oh, this is bizarre," uh, and I was I was positive that this was was COVID. Uh, so I went home that night, uh, and I was uh, with my girls, and the same feeling came on again, uh, and it was pretty. Pretty intense, and I was actually on FaceTime with my mom in Canada. Uh, and and she, uh, as this feeling was 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 growing, I sort of put my girls, my two daughters, uh, in front. And said, "Talk to your grandma now." And uh, and I went to the back, and I was sort of stretching because this this incredible tightness, and I could feel down my forearms this feeling like I had been carrying huge bags of cement. It just it was crazy and then that feeling again it crept up my neck and i was aware of every single one of my teeth individually uh and my mom spotted me in the background she said jeff are you all right i said yeah yeah i'm fine i just you know i, I think this is a uh a flu or something uh maybe maybe it's early stages of covid she said you're rubbing your chest that doesn't look right she says i, I think you better um uh, just call the doctor I said mom mom I don't need to call the doctor I'm, I'm absolutely fine and uh, one of my daughters she sort of looked at me dad come on just call the doctor and I thought oh, okay I'll I'll call and so I I called 111 which is not our emergency number over here in the UK it's uh just general medical help and I was I was chatting to the lady and after about two minutes she said um uh I'm going to stop you there, Mr. Schmidt. Um, there's an ambulance on its way. And can you get down to the front door? Uh, wow. Uh, yeah, I can. Yeah. And by that time, it had sort of subsided the the, the pain. Uh, I said, you really don't need to call a, a an ambulance. And she said, um, I, I think we need to get you checked out. So I went down, ambulance pulled up. I walked into the back of the ambulance and I was apologetic to these guys and they, They hooked me up and uh, they just suddenly stopped and they said, we're taking you to hospital. I said, hospital? Why? And they said, your heart's not right at the moment. Uh, And they said, we will give you um, uh, two minutes to go in and and grab a bag if you want, uh, because you seem all right right now, but um, I think we need to get you there right away. Uh so I ran into the house uh grabbed a bag, and in that bag happened to be uh my sketchbook and so they I jumped into the ambulance and after trying to convince them that I could drive to the hospital i was i was fine they said, nope, we are taking you so they 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 took me to um hospital and it was suddenly this very scary experience, so at the time i was forty six and um just suddenly found myself in a hospital and because COVID was sort of at its height, people weren't allowed in or out and these like super precautious measures. And I was sitting there on the bed and I remember at one point sort of holding my, um, my backpack and I was sort of clutching it on my chest uh, in this little gurney in in a, in a waiting area and just being really scared Uh, and that, that, this, this incredible feeling of, of, of helplessness. And, you know, as a grown man, I, I, I haven't experienced this particular feeling. Uh, I can't remember the last time I felt anything like that, but it was just, I was really quite scared. And I remember when the doctor pulled me in to his office, he was sort of, um, a young guy, he had sort of beads of sweat sort of pouring down his own forehead. He was obviously way overworked. It was like really intense. And he sort of pecked away at the, the keyboard uh, and then sort of looked up and pushed his glasses up his, his nose and sort of stared me in the eyes and said, Jeff, you've had a heart attack, uh, likely a series of, of heart attacks. And I, I was just, I was blown away and I said, well, wh- what does that mean? Uh, and he says, well, we need to run some tests on you. So we're going to keep you in hospital. I said, for how long? He said, I have no idea. It's, it, it, it'll all depend on what happens um, with, with the tests. So, yeah, I was wheeled into this, this ward, and suddenly I found myself sitting in this hospital ward. And, and being in hospital, it's this amazing sort of place because you're, you're, you're sitting in a bed with people from all over the world, uh, and and there was all these different accents, uh, different ages, th- different sort of socioeconomic um, uh, backgrounds. You, you you just had this huge spectrum, and you're you're stuck in your bed, and there was something about being uh, in the hospital and having sort of suffered this this heart attack and being hooked to a monitor. My senses just felt. Uh, Ultra, uh, it's almost like I had spider senses, and everywhere I was looking, I was making these observations, and it just—I I felt hyper aware of of everything that was happening around me. It was, uh, it was bizarre, uh, and uh, but I would I would see these little interactions be, between people, and there's this real sense that that was beautiful, or you know that that's really cruel, or I, I can't believe humanity can sink to that level, uh, or that watching these nurses who were clearly uh, overworked and they themselves, their backs were hurting, their feet were hurting. So all of these these observations, uh, I just had this insatiable uh, craving to start recording it. Uh, it I felt as, as though I, I had to. I had no choice uh, to do that. Uh, and I remember... Uh, looking down at my backpack and sort of slipping my hand in and pulling out my sketchbook. And I, I, I remember taking this deep breath in uh, and in my head just resolving to document the experience. And so I sat there and just started drawing and observing and, and sort of getting sucked into this beautiful world of of the hospital and you know, people that you're not usually interacting with. Uh, and some of the conversations that were happening, it was it, it was amazing, extraordinary. It was beautiful. Um, but having had my sketchbook with me, that was yeah, that 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 was that was really special. And, and you know, as I was drawing, I, I remember I was sort of I just did this this sketch of the ward that I was I was in, and the nurses they they make your their way around from bed to bed doing their their rounds. And one of the nurses came over, and she she spotted, it. and I was sort of just finishing the my finishing touches with with the watercolor uh, on it, and uh, she just she exclaimed, "That's amazing! Oh, I, I can't! Is that me? Is that me?" I said, "Yeah, yeah, it is you." Uh, and she said, "Oh, can can I take this and just show some of my colleagues?" I said, "Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead." So she she grabs this. Um, a sketchbook and she disappears from our our ward. Uh, and it was about 20 minutes later she came back with this little group of ladies and so they, they they came in and they were all excited and they said, do you know no one has ever taken the time to capture what we do here uh, And they said, We've, we just shared it on the on the hospital intranet and and um, uh, everyone's commenting everyone's commenting on it. And <laughs> it was just you know it, it was such a simple little gesture, a simple little sketch. But uh, it was really powerful uh, in the way it, it's, it gave value to the people that were being sketched. Uh, and you know, I, I found that same experience over and over as I drew various different people coming and going from the wards, different people around the, uh, uh, yeah, the when I went from place to place. I was just trying to, to capture those moments and document that experience. So that's how my sketchbook uh, ended up in the ward with me.
1: That's really, I mean, we were just talking about how we like to carry our sketchbooks everywhere with us yeah. as sketchers, <laughs> but that's quite a story. And how remarkable that you happened to pick up your sketchbook that day in the two minutes you had to pick yeah. up a small bag of possessions with you. And I'm picking up on so many points in this story, like uh Because it's early COVID, I'm reminded now, you know, when we look back, all of this blends into one kind of singular period of uh, dysfunction in society and our personal (laughs) lives. But, you know, early COVID, there was such a fog of uh, misinformation and confusion and just lack of understanding about how COVID Mm. operates and what it means to be infected. So, So much of it, like... So much of anxiety was also locked into not knowing what's ahead and what this experience is going to be like. I remember uh, writing something in my journal or at the time that before COVID, before the pandemic struck, I think I was immortal. And (laughs) as the pandemic came in, I realized that I'm not immortal. Yeah. That feeling is a it i mean it sounds so glib but it's a very profound feeling to know that you're not immortal and it actually takes a lot of time before it hits you as a person yeah that something could happen just tomorrow or just yeah. now and completely alter the course of events in your life and this is also what i was thinking when you described you know these first moments in the hospital ward when you have this sense that you're suddenly a very different person in a very different phase in life mm, mm. and you start becoming more observant of the people around you maybe you start uh, thinking about things with more care and consideration because you have this sense of impending uh, doom of yeah. some kind of catas you know some kind of uh, end of life thoughts about what what could happen yeah. in your in your coming days yeah well, i i think i think these
0: these brushes of um, with with death and brushes with um, your mortality—it's it is so powerful. Uh, and yeah, yeah, you you described yourself as as immortal, and and I think I, I really felt that way, you know, and in so many different aspects of my my life, I felt immortal, and you know, sickness and failure and, and all of those things, you know, that's, that, that's not for me. That's, that's for those other people. But it takes moments like these that just give you these really clear awakenings that, um, yeah, uh, and there's something really humbling about it. Um, and, and you, you want to be a much kinder person, a more generous person, have more time for, for people you know, the um, sort of just over two years after that initial heart attack, I, I would say I'm an immeasurably healthier person. I've made lots of changes to my life uh, along the way. But probably one of the biggest uh, things I've realized is people and connection is, is really, really important. And sometimes we just take that, that for granted and i remember being in hospital and and there was there was a guy on the ward i i i, um, I mentioned him in in the the, the book but i it, i call him the turk he was he was telling us that he was from from turkey uh, and um it was really just fascinating study of of human psychology at at first he was just really just overly generous and kind with his his comments you could see he had like a a lengthy uh, list of ailments under his, just everything you could imagine. He's a very unwell, well man. And he just kept calling, using the call bell and just ringing and ringing for these nurses to come over. And he got louder and louder and ruder and ruder. And I just, I felt this sense of real indignancy inside me just rising up I couldn't understand how a man who was getting so much help and so much kindness could start to move to this space of—it was almost disgusting—the the way he was treating people. And you could—you could see that the 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 people in the ward around him, their whole demeanor shrinking and you know withering away, uh, and it, just observing humanity like that in these in these really intense pressure
1: cooker situations is, is fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about this hospital experience, because again, this was early COVID. So there's a lot of immediate isolation. There's a lot of unknown fears. And I mean, you're immediately cut off from your family. I expect uh, visits were either heavily restricted or not even possible. Yeah. 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 They
0: weren't, they weren't
1: possible. Uh, and
0: you know, I, I referred to that that um, that moment that I was waiting for, sort this, this, of the the judgment for from uh, the um, the doctor on, on what was what what had gone on with with me, and that sense of 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 fear and that feeling happened a, a few times. One of the, the tests that I was waiting for, I ended up being in in hospital for six days, and one of the tests that I was waiting for was an angiogram. And uh, they, with that, they sort of make this tiny little incision in your wrist, and they send a little camera up your arm and into your heart. The most extraordinary sort of uh, experience to to have someone do that and have a look around in your heart. But before that, they had sort of wheeled me into this room, and it shout like all nineteen. It, it was like a, a James Bond. Uh, a villain's lair, you know, just really <laughs> cold, stark lights, and I was on my own. There was no one else around me, and this just this deep sense of sort of fear. So I, I went through these these emotions that that were really wide, sweeping, and and it was even in that moment I was I found myself just I wanted the safety of of people, and even some of the the wacky uh, ward mates I'd had up in the the wards I. I would have done anything just to be with them again, or my wife. I just wanted to have her there with me. Uh and you know, and and being in that, getting that angiogram. Sorry if I'm I'm digressing a little bit here, but this this was uh that, that was a crazy experience because they 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 went and had a look around and they found one little area in my heart where there was this sort of plaquey bit built up. And he said, it's just in this one little area, but if we don't do something about it, there's a chance we could have another heart attack. And so, uh, I said, well, what what is the options? And they said, well, a stent, would you like a stent? And, uh, I, I said, well, uh, what, what is a stent? And, you know, tell me a bit about, so I found myself having to make these decisions right there and then on this, this little bed and, um, you know, after sort of weighing everything up within the matter of five minutes, I said, Yeah, go for it, because I didn't want to go through this again. And so they they explained what what would happen is they were going to insert a balloon in this little tube that they'd sent up my blood vessels into my heart. And that balloon, they would inflate it, uh, and and that would stretch out this metal little mesh thing that would sort of keep the that area of the vessel open. But when they did that they said it would feel like you were having a heart attack again because they block the artery at that for about 10 seconds. Uh, and I remember him getting everything in there. You could feel the icy sort of slither going through your body. It's, uh, I sort of referred to it as so this ice serpent that you feel going through. And they got to the spot, and he says, okay, we're about to inflate the the balloon. And sure enough i could I could feel that intense uh, sense of of pain overcoming my uh chest again, the tightness and i I was gripping the sides of my tables. I remember sort of that that white knuckle experience, and I felt that pain, and then it just eased, and it was done. Um, but yeah it's it's lonely uh, in those spaces where you don't have your your family able to come in and connect with you um, and you are wholly reliant on the good fortune of, of who's there, who's working uh, that night uh, or during the day and who those people are around you. There was a judge who was also in with similar heart issues and he was right beside me and, and him and I ended up striking up a great, uh, great friendship and there was one other guy and and he he was sort of the antithesis to everything horrible and nasty in that experience. He was so kind and generous and warm, uh, and he was like uh, I felt he was. It was almost this angel been sent just to you know be with me. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. You, you you mentioned that uh, you know you picked up the sketchbook after following uh Paz domestica course also yeah. early in the pandemic so in this isolated very lonely situation in which you're rethinking so many things tell me a little bit about the relationship with art with drawing with your sketchbook in this space in you know mentally and physically being right there
0: yeah I, that's a good question um y- there was definitely this sense of a of a draw to to draw. and um, I, I wanted to use words, uh, so I, I did do some writing. but by far the the most meaningful way of me processing what was happening there was was drawing. Um, and And part of it, I felt this need that um, I needed to be able to to share what i was I was seeing with other people uh just to give them some sense of hope and i was i i kept finding these little sort of um, uh, strands of of hope and i tried you try and weave them into your your drawings uh, and, and and getting a sense and uh this this awareness of the sounds that were um, were were happening around me and wanting to pick up those those things in little sort of speech bubbles and I think that's something I, I, I really love with Le Pan's drawings. He would often sort of pick up uh, these, just these little, you see these little speech bubbles popping up quite often in his, his drawings. And I was really sort of, um, I really loved that, that aspect of his, his drawings. And, and I've found that I do that a lot now is I, I listen to what's going on around. And it's, you're listening to, you're, you're observing, but there's, there's, there's layers of senses going on within that and you're trying to pick up how you feel as well with that so some of those experiences it was they were uh the the room was quite cold so what what how do you translate that feeling by using the colors that you're using within the the art itself to help create that that atmosphere within it
1: yeah yeah and uh now looking looking at your previous life before entering the hospital and you know this transformative experience while you're there what was it like to come out of it what what, did you uh, did it immediately feel like a distant experience or did you do you feel like you carried carried these these uh, transformative Mm -hmm. ideas these influences with you yeah yeah it's it it, i mean it really was a transforming experience
0: so i think what they found in hospitals they, they couldn't pin this art issue on anything in particular outside of he said it's possibly a bit of genetics in there, possibly a bit of bad luck, and possibly a bit of stress. Uh and so you you leave you leave hospital uh and you, you get back home and the, the, the first the first phase is it's just recovery. Your your body just recovering from this trauma that's been inflicted on it, and it's and so you're, you you sit uh, a lot and just sort of there's lots of thinking time and soaking in in time. And I've always been quite a, an active person on the go, uh, and as much as I I love the idea of reading, I I just never get down, get down to reading uh, as many books as I want to, but. In that time, after that, because I was, I was at home, uh, it I was given the chance to, to read, and I was diving into books that were, that were just uh, allowing me to process what was going on. So I think that recovery time after there's a lot of processing time, and I I, I find that when I'm drawing, that's that's really when you get into that, you you start to process and you. I don't know if the same happens with you, but when, when I'm out somewhere drawing, uh, you, you're you sort of lost in this other world and it feels like, you know, an hour could slip by and you have no idea where it's gone. You're just, you're, you've been so deep in your thoughts, processing as you're drawing and, and observing the world. Is, is yeah. it the same for you?
1: Uh, well, I no? think I'm a, I'm a chronic overthinker. So I have so many thoughts running through my head normally that I found drawing is the only time that my brain does not think about 10,000 things at the same time. Yeah. I found that like, well, I go out to draw and I tend to be a little self-conscious in public spaces. But that feeling of of self-awareness only lasts as long as I touch, until I touch the pen to the page. And as soon as I do that, it's like you described, like it's again, it's a space outside of time. You're yeah. not aware of the passage of time and you're not aware of so many things. Like you're not aware of your personhood in the same way or your concerns yeah. and your trivialities in the same manner anymore. Suddenly, these problems of the page, these problems of what you're trying to look at, and this act of interpreting it into two dimensional form on your paper. These become the concerns. These become the overarching things that I'm, Mm. problems that I'm trying to solve. And I lose sense of other concerns around me. I lose sense of uh, just, uh, you know, what time it is, how I feel in this weather. While at the same time maintaining this hyper awareness of Mm. my environment. So one of the things I started doing very early, once I really started to enjoy urban sketching, was that I stopped Uh, being plugged in like I wouldn't listen to music while I'm drawing Mm. I decided that I really just want to be here and listen to these ambient sounds over here the conversations of passersby and it makes for such a more immersive experience when I allow myself this space that otherwise seems almost impossible to permit yourself to do yeah 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 I yeah yeah, I to,
0: totally resonate with with that, and and uh, it's it, what what's interesting. So I, I um, uh, I've I've taught art at a sort of a very uh, sort of the junior high uh, level, and uh, so just working with with kids there and having my own kids and yeah I guess it even extends to adults. One of the uh, you, you talked about this sort of self consciousness. That that you have around drawing, uh, it, I mean, it's such a widespread thing, and and I think there is this this barrier of trying to get past this space of uh, I need my art to look exactly like what I'm drawing, or it has to be perfect in some way, and and getting beyond that, and I think working with kids, that's definitely you you have the the older you get, the the, the harder it is to to take those those steps, and so many adults I talk to say, oh, I could never do that. Um, And one of the things that I I sort of resolved to do quite early on in this, um, uh, this sort of urban sketching process is just, I need to put myself out there and, and just, just go for it. Uh, I, I think if you don't do that, you miss these opportunities and, um, I think whenever I see people out drawing or sketching, I'm really drawn to them. And I, I, you know, if if it feels right, I'll go up and have a conversation with them and chat to them. And and I always think it's really cool when people are, are sketching. And I think, well, actually, that's that's probably what people feel when they, they, they see me out sketching. So <laughs> do I have anything to worry about? Uh, no, I, I, I don't think I do.
1: I, I agree with so much of that, like, I also have this feeling about other sketches that I see in public spaces. I think it's such a nice thing they're doing. I make sure to try to peep into their sketchbooks as I walk by. And if I can make eye contact, then I do give them like a sense of approval from my end for what yeah. they're doing. And But again, when I'm drawing, I feel the same way. Like, what an odd thing to do this is. And everybody <laughs> must be thinking, what a strange person. And I've got to make myself discreet. I've got to camouflage myself if I can. I try to be as inconspicuous as I can be in yeah. these public spaces. Now, uh, doing this is a bit of my personality. It's it's just these things, these Uh, burdens that I walk around with. Other people are less self-conscious and that works for them really well. And it's interesting how we make our personality work for us in different ways. Like I've I've found over time that this habit of trying to be inconspicuous has led to the development of a unique way of drawing a unique perspective Mm. in my art. Like I, I would never draw from the first place that occurs to me to draw from. Because usually that's another spot that someone else has thought about to take Ah. pictures from, to watch from, or maybe there's another artist already there. So because I don't want to be conspicuous, I end up circling my area of interest and looking for inconspicuous spaces. Mm. And in the process of doing that, I find second or third or fourth points of view, which are... Maybe something I would not have explored if I'd been complete supremely comfortable in that space, if I'd been totally comfortable taking out my sketchbook in the crowded spot and yeah. started to draw. So little little bit of uh, payoff of being yeah. <laughs> uncomfortable in public spaces. But yeah. I'm also curious because this is very similar to me. I started uh, drawing as an adult. I started urban sketching as an adult with mm. this idea of uh, learning how to draw finally, I had always wanted to learn, but I'd never quite been successful. So tell me a little bit about this, like giving yourself this permission to do this thing, which seems such a silly thing to do in mm. a public space. Like if you remember the first time you went out with a sketchbook or even some of these early experiences with a sketchbook, what was it like to to be out somewhere and to take out your sketchbook and decide, OK, I'm going to make a drawing here?
0: Mm. I think there was something really exciting about it. You know, this, this sense that you're, uh, you think back to, you know, some of the, uh, the impressionists and the post-impressionists who, you know, they really got out and they were, they were trying to capture light and how that played on objects. And, you know, they had to work quickly so that they, they didn't miss these, these atmospheric effects playing on on something or trying to understand the uh, shapes that, that that are made by by objects um, uh, the, the the changing perspectives and how do you put those all together in in one one painting it's that's always sounded really romantic to me and really exciting you know that the thought of putting your easel, on your back and heading out somewhere with, with, uh, oil paints and, and trying to capture that. And I think urban sketching is, is a bit like that. It's, you know, you're there, there's this, this excitement, you have no idea what you're going to come, come across. Uh, and you're, you're sort of looking around for something interesting to, uh, interesting to capture. And there, there is a real sense that, that, um, yeah, you 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 just you what you want to to capture these these moments and and um so i think early on there and it still is this this real exciting of moment and uh yeah just trying to figure out how not to hide away uh and yet respect people's privacy as well uh you know you, i think if someone was staring at me uh for <laughs> You know, uh, uh, drawing drawing me, I I might feel a little uh, self conscious, and so um, and again, this is you know one of the things that I really loved that Le Pan did, um, is he would often he often goes up to people once he's drawn them, and he gets them to sign, uh, mm-hmm. the the drawing that he's done, and he intentionally makes that connection, and and so I've tried to do this more and more where I've I've drawn someone. I just I share it with them, and and uh, it takes sometimes it takes uh, putting on your brave pants and uh, going in and do this. But I think more often than not,
1: it's you, it starts these really lovely conversations. Yeah, yeah, so true. I'm also thinking about just this idea of making space in. All, you know, everyone leads busy lives, no matter mm. uh, where they are, socioeconomically speaking. Everybody's life is busy. Everybody's hours mm. are accounted for. And especially as an adult, it's it really takes a supreme effort of will to carve space in your day, to mm-hmm. take on a new hobby, to work at something that you may not feel that you are gifted uh, since since a young age at, or something that you are still learning to do, something that you're an amateur at. So Mm. it takes so much to take on something new like this. And now you're sketching outdoors in public with a sketchbook. (laughs) So tell me a little bit about this, because, I mean, you decided to do this before uh, the heart incident. You were already trying to make a space in your professional life to bring some art into it, to bring some kind of indulgence of your hobbies. So tell me a little bit about this situation with your work and this decision to find room in your day hmm so i yeah i'm a, i'm a deputy head so that's like a vice principal
0: uh at at a prep school here in the uk and um yeah there's there there is lots it that's always busy uh it's you you're running from the beginning of the day to the end of the day uh but it's and, and I think this is, uh, I guess this, this is these are realizations I've come to since being uh, going through um, the, the the heart attack. But realizing that there is there's a deep craving within us all that we want to pursue things that that make our hearts soar, uh, and without that, our our lives it almost, it feels meaningless. It feels, you know, it sort of withers away. And so, uh, I think I've, I've always been aware of, of, of a sense of chasing your passions, but you know, I think that, that space where your passions, your gifts and your gumption, <laughs> where those three things collide, uh, that's a really powerful space because you're you're doing something that that you naturally love so within that you know, there's all the release of all those wonderful chemicals that your body uh you you sort of de-stress it's it takes you down uh, a little bit um and and there's there's that sense of focus around a task that you're doing that that's um and I, I think that that particular focus that um uh, i think i was I was mentioning to you in one of my emails one of the things i've been thinking a lot about is flow and this idea of, of getting into a, a state of flow and i uh, when i'm drawing I'm, I'm definitely in there you know where time is irrelevant and and you get into that space but but in that space it's it's uh life uh it it, it, it feels meaningful uh, it feels like you're you're making a mark some way when when i'm uh, when i'm I, I get into that space. My kids call me uh or they say, Dad, you're getting into your emo space again. <laughs> you know, you're just you're sort of sucked into this this world. Uh, but quite often coming out of that, uh, I I'm I'm really excited to talk to people and about these new thoughts or these these revelations I've had. And, you know, I want to share these ideas with with people. So yeah, I'm not sure if that answered answered your question. No, I mean,
1: I, I, I completely agree with this because, you know, I it, it almost makes you wonder if the state of flow is the natural state of being and what we do otherwise is a distraction from it. Ooh. Like I was just reading recently uh, some, some comment somewhere on the internet, something I read. It said that, uh, you know, how you go out in nature and if you're in the woods or you're just surrounded by natural things, not by man-made objects, yeah. suddenly there is this kind of the person described it as this kind of warping of reality that makes you wonder if you're in some, you're outside of the the real world. And then it makes mm. you wonder if this is the real world and this is how you're supposed to feel. And wow. what you were feeling before was really a distraction from everything that is real.
0: Yeah. And... Yeah. I I mean, you talk about the natural world. I think that that has been a huge part of my recovery, uh, and I I would say renewal. Uh, so now I, I, uh, I regularly every week go for two or three, just really, I, I live in an amazing place. Not, uh, it's different kind of spectacular to Vancouver. I mean, there it's, you've got the dramatic trees and the ocean and the mountains, uh, but it's it's a really stunning it's like quintessential English countryside and I just I head out and you you're absolutely right and there there's something about uh getting to see like big wide open horizons as well you know this 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 sense of space where you're uh, you're open to the idea of possibilities and it's 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 after having spent time out there you're you I, I certainly personally I feel like I have I these ideas are, are coming in and it's almost some I sometimes think I gotta write this down and I get home and I, I sit down to write it I think oh man it's gone
1: it's it's not near as clear as it was as I when I was when I was walking yeah yeah, definitely. yeah. and this whole business of you know, getting back home and writing down this revelation, it almost feels so wrong that it would be lost, that you will inevitably <laughs> go away to a state of mind where this will not occur to you anymore naturally, just going about your business. Yeah. Uh, like Very offhand, but it reminds me of this beautiful book I read a couple of years ago. It's called The Order of Time. Um, okay. And it's by, uh, well, it's a book of science. So it's a book about what's known as quantum gravity. But it's written by a physicist who could also double as a poet. It's just so beautifully written. Wow. And uh, he talks about just our perception of time across the ages. So over thousands of years, the different ways that we have perceived change in time. And of course, there's the sun and the moon and the stars. But also the idea of the passage of time being the rate at which things change or things Mm -hmm. decay around us. So if nothing changes or if there is no observable change in our world, has time passed at all? Hmm. And so uh, when back when our lives were not regulated by ticking clocks and numbers that are constantly moving forward every second, literally, uh, (laughs) how did we perceive the time that we were spending and the time that we could spend on one thing versus another? Therefore, the way we could spend our days or our weeks, our notion of weeks and months and years was such a different thing. And now sometimes I feel like we're so uh, driven by timetables and schedules. And, uh, you know, you have a 60-minute meeting, you have a a 120-minute podcast recording, (laughs) you have a 45-minute workout session. All of these things are so regulated for us that the way that we perceive our time, the way that we perceive our day is taken away from us. And yeah. spending time in a world which is separate from all of these things, from all of these concerns, is a way to almost claw back some control. <laughs> mm, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. I was
0: thinking of a few different things in there. But you you, you mentioned the the, science, the scientist who was almost a poet at the same time. And that 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 reminded me of uh, Have you seen Dead Poets Society? Have oh, yes, yeah. So there's this this uh, this great scene in there. I I love it. That uh, Robin Williams he jumps up on the desk and he's talking to the, the boys in his class and um, he says something like, "Medicine, law, and business are necessary to sustain life, but what we live for are love, art, and poetry." You know, it's it's that it's that sense that. Uh, that that poetry uh the the love the arts this it just does something for us, yeah, I know that doesn't connect with the time thing particularly, but it just that that reminded me of that that
1: oh it's it's so true like it I feel like they they take you out of your own experience, and that opportunity to go out of your own experience is like, uh, is the real reason why you would, is the real reason why you would indulge in art or poetry or you know a great movie or a great mm. song, is that it will take you out of just being you and just being where you are. Yeah, yeah. There's this, there's this quote by uh, Kandinsky, who was the father of surrealism, and he said yeah. something along the line. I'm paraphrasing horribly, but he said that just look at a painting and. Allow yourself, allow it to take you out of your own self. And if it, for a moment, if it can help you move about in a plane that is outside of your life, what more do you want? Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's good. And I think about that with respect to, you know, like we think about what is the point of art? Again, we are a very utilitarian, (laughs) uh, we have a very utilitarian grasp over the things we do with the time that we have so that we can be, quote-unquote, productive. And yeah. this is especially a plague when we're adults, but increasingly it is something that we have inflicted upon young people as well. And I think mm. I would love to hear you shed some light on this because you mentioned teaching art as well to young children. And what is how, how do you think, how is it that they are perceiving it? How are they grappling with the demands of our time with this idea of being an amateur, of doing something mm. just for the fun of it versus mm. something that you need to be really good at and therefore you are allowed to do it. Yeah. Oh gosh.
0: This, this is, you're, you're, you're talking about one of the, the big sort of the battles, bugbears that I had. I remember there was this moment when I was teaching art, uh, I got so fed up with the children sort of drawing something. It wasn't quite right. And then they'd go back and they'd rub it out. Uh, I just, I collected all the rubbers, the erasers up right there. And I took them and I threw them all in the bin. Uh, and that was, I, I banned rubbers uh, or erasers uh, from the, um, uh, the the art room. Mm-hmm. Just because there's the sense that, that it had to look a certain way. and 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 they were doing that. And I just... Embarked on this journey with them of of just how many different ways can we explore just making marks on paper and how do we express ourselves uh, on paper and falling in love with that. We um, I, I recently with uh, with the art teacher at our school we took them to the Tate Modern and um, uh, if in the Tate Modern they've they've got uh, an area there called the Turbine Hall and it's this big huge open space and they often have really cool installations in there. but they had these um, this, uh, these, these hanging installations where the, the lady who had done it. she's an indigenous woman from South uh, South America um, she had come and she was doing work in London but all of the pieces that she had found were or all the pieces in this hanging installation were found in the Thames. And so she'd sort of strung it together and she was making a commentary on the, on the world and the, 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 you know, the, the damage we're doing to it. And, uh, there was this beautiful soundscape as well. And I remember the, 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 the kids coming in and saying, uh, what's the purpose of this that I, I, I don't get it. Uh, and it's. I I felt I needed to give them a really passionate uh, you know explanation, so I just I I went for it and I gave them the sort of this really passionate explanation of the earth and and how we were feeling about that. And there was this there happened to be this guy uh, that was sketching uh, around there, and I went and uh, I went over to him. I said, uh, "Excuse me, we're a we're a little school group. I can see you're sketching here, and you're absolutely loving it." can you come talk to our kids about sketching? And it was this great little moment where he came over and he had this this sketchbook. And what I loved in his sketchbook, every page was, it was very different. There wasn't a particular style. And we just started chatting to him with, with all the kids and, and him, his name was Callum. He was from Dundee and he was, uh, he was doing his master's in illustration and, this great little sort of conversation that, that opened up a world to them that he was just doing this because he just wanted to explore the world and, and have a record of what he was seeing and what he was feeling. And he said, do you hear those bird sounds? Because they had this sort of soundscape going. How do you, right. how do you put that on paper? Uh, and what was remarkable is after this, the kids, they they sort of spread out and they were devouring the drawing. We spent an hour there before we had to go into the Cezanne um, exhibition, and they didn't want to leave. They were so uh, I've I've there, there was something about being inspired by the person, the the people around you, and almost feeling what they were doing. That opened up this this freedom to them. That you know this is this is about a feeling and wanting people to feel as a result of art.
1: Yeah, so true. Like, you know, I think that uh, just what you just said, like there is this sense that we need permission to do certain things, to allow ourselves Mm. to engage with art even. And this idea of asking what is the point of it, like, so, you know, like as the, the older we get and the younger we are, the sooner we get older these days, like, (laughs) <laughs> i think you're an adult even in so many ways you have been corrupted into adulthood even when you're just entering your teens today because just of for how much you know how much you are exposed to the amount of information that is flung into your eyeballs every single mm. day regardless of whether you want it or not yeah and just how externalized our lives are like i think about social media and i am Lest that I just about left university, and that's when social media became a thing, like <laughs> really became a thing. Yeah. And so I consider myself so lucky that I spent so many years in when I was in school, middle school and primary school and high school, in which there was no sense that the things that I wanted to do with my time were something that should conform or should be worthy of bragging. On this platform where mm. an infinite number of people might see it. And I would want to solicit their likes and their comments and their retweets or their shares. Yeah. But this is what young life is now. Like you, yeah. so mu- It's so difficult to get this virus of other people out of your mind. Mm. What would somebody think of what I'm doing? And if I cannot share it or if I cannot put it up somewhere as, you know, representing this brand that I am already, mm. is it worth doing with my time? Yeah. Yeah. That that, that reminds me of um uh uh
0: the band Oasis. Mm-hmm. Um there's a, a documentary and they, they were talking about in the nineties so that was when they were sort of at the peak of their uh you know their their popularity and they were talking about doing a, a a concert. It was a big concert here in the, the UK. And um, they were saying at that time, you know, of course, there was there's no mobile phones and that, that technology didn't exist. And so there's this big festival uh, and because of their popularity, just people wanted to go to this. And so they, they, they talked about how friends would be sort of making plans to, you know, Call and then press that orange redial button on the old phones, you know, just to, to redial. And then they'd have a few people lining up at, at these long queues. And, but you'd have to do everything old school on this. Uh, but then they go on to talk about the the concert itself. And and I found this really powerful that um, they said at that concert where they had, I don't know, however, hundreds of thousands of people, this massive thing they said that was a really special time in history which we will not encounter again because when you looked out from the stage, you saw 175,000 people all collectively joined into this one moment, totally focused on this moment and we were living it together. Now when you look out, it's a sea of, Mobile phones of people trying to capture this, so their their, their attention is divided between, yeah. you know, the mobile phones and what's happening on stage. Yeah, and you lose that sort of
1: that 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 joint experience. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, and yeah. like even as the person, you are cheapening your own experience. Some people are looking at this experience only through the screen of their phones. Some people yeah. will not enjoy the experience if they cannot also talk about it and share it and capture that perfect moment. If The moment is lessened if it was not also recorded in the perfect way on your phone yeah. <laughs> so that it could become a reel, so yeah. that it could become a yeah. story or a TikTok. Yeah. And this is what I mean by this virus of other people, that what will people think? How can I speak it? How can I share it? It's mm. infiltrated mm. in every thought in our minds. Even the deepest ideas, the most, there is nothing truly personal that you think is never for anybody else. And this, this phenomenon itself just absolutely did not exist 20 years no. ago, 20, 25 no. years ago. It's such a bizarre thing that is now in all of us. Like, mm. you cannot mm. not have it. The, the idea of sharing it, the idea of <laughs> therefore yeah, in one so way, true. even whether you're seeking approval or even if you're not seeking approval just the fact that you have a reactionary contrarian mindset to other people even mm. that is even that wow. is a new thing even that is yeah. more than the nothingness that we had before yeah. wow
0: yeah oh gosh and i think about sort of um wh- whether this is it, so that the idea of depression and anxiety that we have now and uh I believe that technology has a lot to answer for in that uh in that area, and I suppose swinging this conversation back to art in a way the the power of art is it, uh, something like urban sketching it takes um it takes you away from this sort of internal gazing uh to an external thing, and you, you spend time sort of looking out beyond uh, beyond yourselves. There's this interesting study that was that was done uh, with uh, seventy five year olds and above people, and they were um, uh, they were all feeling very lonely in their their care homes, and they 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 reckoned the answer was to take them out. On nature walks, and so they they took them out on these these nature walks, and as they were walking around, they asked them to take selfies. This was part of the <laughs> assignment: is for them, these uh, uh, pensioners, to take uh, uh, selfies of themselves. But what they found over the course of weeks is that the selfies became less of them, and they started to be. In the corners, and more of the picture was of the natural surroundings around them and and they were taking that in as and and they were sort of it was this outward sort of looking uh and I just thought that was that's fascinating that the more time we spend out in the natural world and looking out beyond ourselves, the less important we feel about ourselves,
1: you know that yeah yeah. Yeah, like I, I like it's interesting to think like I imagine they ask them to take selfies because selfies as a way to think more about yourself and to feel yeah. good about your self image and to feel that you are worthy of, you know, I, I'm just uh, conjecturing here, but to yeah. feel that you're worthy of being photographed, worthy of being at the center of some, like literally placing yourself in the center of your world as yeah. a way to empower yourself or as a way to find joy in your world and what they were doing was the opposite of that as a way mm-hmm. to find joy and contentment that maybe it's not about me and maybe it's better to not be predicated on the self
0: yeah yeah but it is it's it's hard isn't it you know in this in this world it's where you want to sort of make your mark and you want to you know if you want to make a living out of your art or you know those you've got to share it and you've got to get it
1: out there and so trying to figure out How do you create this balance so it doesn't consume? Yeah, yeah. I had a conversation with someone just yesterday. I was at the art supply store here, and I had a conversation with somebody about this idea of having a big Instagram presence Mm. and what that does because immediately you think, what a great thing, because now so many people can connect with your art. So many people can find who you are. They can get in touch with you. It's your path to uh, self-sufficiency, prosperity to get uh, what your art deserves, quote unquote, all of these Mm -hmm. positive things. And I was thinking in the back of my head how interesting it is when nobody knows who you are and nobody is following your art and how that is uh, one of the rare opportunities you have to really just make whatever the hell kind of art you want to make. (laughs) <laughs> when nobody is there to tell you this is who you are and this is what I expect from you. So please yeah. conform to this image. And I have found this pressure on me. Like my Instagram really just blew up a few months ago from a medium to small account to a massive account. And wow. I have the whole process of getting here has been about very firmly like my prerogative as an artist, right from the start, because I chose to do this from a different profession before, has mm-hmm. been that I'm going to do only exactly what I want to do, and I'm not going to do anything else. This is why I have given myself this. This I have allowed myself to become this thing, so I'm not going to betray who I want to be in favor of trying to please other people. And th- this was my idea, and this is how, well, once this account exploded i suddenly felt the reverse pressure i suddenly felt this obligation to please all of these unnamed anonymous thousands of people hundreds of thousands of people and to meet their expectations to to reach those crazy virality numbers again and to think about why they were following me and what they wanted from me yeah it's so fascinating someone was talking about
0: about this uh, this idea of creating for yourself as the artist, uh, as opposed to creating for other people, because um, I think the the moment that you start to create for other people, uh, I think that's where some of the magic can definitely die. It's been interesting since uh, since um, writing the book and sort of getting that out, and there's uh, a, just suddenly had this sort of influx of of commissions, uh, all sorts of different. Bits of of art coming in, and I've uh, it's this exact thing that that has crossed my path is I've always created stuff because I I love creating it and you create it's it's got certain meaning and then suddenly someone says well I'll pay you something to create something you say yeah great no problem and then you start creating it and then. They've got lots of input into that and say, "Well, can you change that or I'm not quite happy with that. Can we tweak this and you find you're on this this sort of uh, uh, this whole new treadmill of trying to create what someone else wants and what's going to speak to them and, and you feel in some way that you're possibly losing your magic so trying to to find that balance in there of of creating something that that feels from your heart, you're creating something amazing, and yet connecting with someone who uh, wants a particular
1: thing, which quite yeah. often they don't know what it is that they want. <laughs> yeah, I that's exactly it. Like they don't really know what they want; they have a vague sense of it, and then we are trying to chase it. Like I've said this before on in a conversation that doing a commission, the only honest way that I have found to do a commission is if I completely ignore my client and do, <laughs> <laughs> like, at least mm-hmm. in the process of creation, like, sometimes I'm drawing and when I'm doing commissions, I end up drawing from photos and references instead of drawing on location. Yeah, And just the act of doing that, it feels like I'm trying to imitate myself. I'm trying to mm think about how would i have drawn this if i was actually there because that's my native style of drawing and yeah so i'm almost trying to copy myself or plagiarize myself in some sense in order to yeah in order to do what they want me to do which is which is again it comes from me doing what i want to do so it's this very curious cycle that gets started and it's not very clear what the way out of it is
0: <laughs> yeah definitely yeah uh yeah I I, I I have I haven't come up with the answer yet mm-hmm. uh other than yeah there's uh, I found myself a couple of times just saying and making really impassioned pleas you know as as the the quote unquote artist and just saying i i believe this is the way we should go because and and trying to get them to to go with that
1: yeah yeah now now that we're on the subject uh, tell me about the the idea of making this book how did it come to you were you approached for it and what was the the journey like to put all these things together in as a book mm. yeah it was uh it
0: it started uh, having written all these things in hospital and I, I i shared them with my wife uh i would sort of send her pictures from the hospital and uh and some of the things i had written and she said, Jeff, you should, you should start, um, sharing this on social media. And so I started doing that. I started done, uh, just sharing it on my Facebook account. And she said, uh, you should set up an Instagram account. So I set up an Instagram account and, and started sharing that. But as I did that, uh, this reoccurring conversation that people were saying is, Jeff, this would be great as a book. And it's, you know, it's one thing if your wife says it, or, you know, you're your mom says that, um, mm-hmm. but when it's this sort of recurring theme and people are coming to you just saying, this would make a great book, um, uh, it, it planted a seed. And then I realized having come out of hospital um, and talking to people who were going through experiences where there was a sense of adversity or, or trauma, uh, there's a sense of hopelessness that, that can accomplish. Uh, accompany that, and I think all the the entries that I'd sort of written about being in hospital there really there's a, there's this undercurrent of hope and inspiration that sort of pervades pervades that and it just felt that if I would have had this book when I was in hospital, this would have given me uh, a sense that things are not done it's not this this does not mean that i'm going to be an invalid for life but in fact i can this can be the start of a really beautiful journey uh, yeah. on that so um i th- i think it was in an answer to the sense and this feeling of fear and isolation that you have when you're in hospital or you're going through a traumatic experience uh and and although the book is called heart attack um it's 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 sort of on a metaphorical level. It's it's working at, on the the trauma that we experience in life, uh, and a, a large part of the, the 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 first part of the book is all about hospital. But the second two sections of that 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 book are all about just renewing your life and coming out a much better person in the end. Uh, and uh, and so there's yeah every entry is just it, it can be read sort of. Sort of self-contained, or it can be read as a whole book, as it uh, altogether. So, yeah, that's that. That was the uh, the impetus behind it, and then getting it uh, out into the world. Uh, I soon began to realize that those suspicions I had were were correct, and and the feedback that I've had along the way about the book is this is exactly the the purpose it serves, and. Uh, I I'll get messages from people saying, uh, I sent this to a friend or my brother or someone, and it was just what they needed in that moment. And so for me, I suppose that having created something that, that brings other people, a, a sense of, of hope, a sense of joy, the, the inspiration. Um, I, I just, uh, I'm really thrilled uh, that that's, that's the impact that it's had. And I feel grateful that I've been able to sort of share some of the, the love that I've, I've been given.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, tell me about some of these, these things around having made the book, uh, you know, what comes next in the life of a writer slash artist? Like, uh, how, how did you go about distributing it or how did you go about uh, did you do any events around it, and what is the process by which people are reaching back to you about how they feel?
0: Yeah, so uh, it was uh, trying to figure out how to do that. Um, I had sort of talked to a few different publishers with very little sort of uh, comeback, and then uh, through a particular company, they had suggested doing sort of self-publishing the, the the book, and so I looked at KDP uh, the, the Kindle direct publishing, uh, and trying to go that way. And, um, uh, this, this guy I had been talking to about that, they had sort of helped, uh, an artist get a book published. And, uh, so I ordered a copy, uh, just to see if that's, I'd like, if, if it would work and the, I felt the quality of the, uh, the art reproduction just wasn't what I had in, in mind. And, um, I think for this kind of book, it, it has to be sort of a beautiful book that you just feel that you want to hold and sort of flip through the, the pages have to have the right sort of weight to it. And, and so it's, it's not like a, a novel. So that, that, that route didn't work. And so I spent quite a bit of time looking around at different options and I came across this beautiful little, uh, book publishers, uh, in, here in England, called uh, Brown Dog Books, and they just do little uh, books that they they feel they can get behind, and I connected with them and just started on the journey with them. And so I've I've published the the book with them, and uh, been sort of really happy with the end end product now of of the of the book. And uh, in terms of getting it out into the world, I approached lots of sort of Both local media and wider media, and it takes a bit of graft, you know, (laughs) just sort of trying to push uh, push your wares. Uh, But we there's there's definite people you connect with, and so there was lots of sort of uh, magazine and newspaper little articles leading into the the launch, and then I had a great big launch party um, here, uh, and I connected with a, that it was, just, I was, because the book is all about going through this, uh, through trauma and coming out the other end, uh, the outdoors had been a, a big part of my recovery and creativity had been a, a big part of that. I wanted a really inspirational space, uh, not just a little room somewhere. So I, I pushed a lot of doors and then, uh, I'd been going to, I was going to the cinema with my kids and my wife. And I noticed in the corner of the parking lot, there's this big bay door open to this, this building. And the other side is a nightclub, uh, but this bay door looked really interesting. I said, Oh, I'm just gonna go have a look in there. It looks like a really cool space in there. And sure (laughs) enough, they had like these big palm trees and sort of artificial grass. And they had these, this wild sort of shipping container that they'd converted really cool space. Uh, so I went and I, I was just chatting to them and as I was chatting, uh, I got to talking about the the book that was going to be released, and and the guy says, "Do you know what? That just sounds like an amazing sort of purpose." He says, "We haven't opened yet. We're we're going to open sometime in the autumn, but um, if you'd like the space, it's yours." And I just thought, "Wow!" And it really was. It was it's open to the sky and just this really cool place. So I had a big um, big launch event and. What was really cool is i had invited people from sort of this whole journey, right from when I ended up in hospital straight through, and I connected with the hospital, and I ended up having some of the nurses that were there in hospital with me, some of the people that were in hospital, Mm -hmm. so that part of the journey, and then people who had sort of spoken into my life along the way, uh, and lots of friends and colleagues, so it was just a really, really great, uh, great night just uh, to officially launch the book.
1: Was this like your first opportunity to reconnect with some of these people?
0: Yeah, yeah. So they certainly the hospital staff, definitely. I I hadn't chatted to them since I spent those six days in there. Uh, And what was really interesting was they, they, they felt so honored that they'd been remembered. And I almost think that's such a tragedy because... They, they are, they are so sacrificial. These uh, the the people who work for uh, the NHS over here, the 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 hospitals. They, I saw it time and time again. They give so much of themselves, and people come in, and then they're gone, and they never hear from them again. And it just it it just was another reminder to really honor these people that that gives so much of themselves for other people, especially during that, that COVID time.
1: Yeah. And how has this uh, this journey to, well, with urban sketching, then this process of recovery, this process of making a book, and then to speak about the process, you know, the, the journey of renewal, the journey of recovery. Mm-hmm. How has this affected you as a person? Like, has this given you Uh, new directions that you're keen to explore as a person yourself? Yeah. um,
0: So, yeah, I've I've made lots of changes to the way I do life now. Um, I'm much more intentional about certain aspects, like uh, the food I eat is is much, much cleaner now. Um, I spend a lot more time in the outdoors. Uh, I get, I aim for my eight hours of sleep a night, which that was... I was non-existent. So just putting all those layers into place. And I also changed my, uh, I was really fortunate to have a conversation with the, um, the governors of my school and they've, they've allowed me to shift the way I I work at school. And so now one day a week I, I have for myself. And so I've used that as a creative day and that's a day that I am either drawing or, um, doing stuff around the book and reaching out to other people or now it's led into commissions and it's been a really happy little, uh, thing. And I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying the journey. Uh, and like we were talking about before, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to balance doing things just because I love it. Uh, and also doing the the commission aspect of that, where you, you're trying to meet someone's needs. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, it's, the, by and large, it's been a really, really positive experience.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: yeah, the, the, uh, I've been working with uh, a hospital trust over here to sort of rework their, the cardiology, uh, department. And it's just, it's, uh, you know, when you're, 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 you're doing something, you feel like you're doing what you're meant to be doing. That's what I feel like, um, uh, the space I'm in right now.
1: That That's beautiful um and it brings me sort of to a last uh subject which i think could have also been my first question to you uh, <laughs> uh jeff what does it mean to live inspired i noticed this is in the footer of your emails and uh, tell yeah. me a little bit about just just what what it means to you and how you're implementing this yeah so it's um it,
0: it comes with this uh this idea of a postscript so P.S. Live Inspired. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'd uh, this has sort of sat at the back of my mind for for years. Uh, when you, the old days, when you used to write uh, pen and paper letters, uh, uh, I remember the little postscripts with someone to write P.S. and then P.S.S. And these, it always felt to me like these were um, final thoughts. And, you know, my 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 dad passed away probably... Twelve years ago now, and you know as as he sort of uh came to the end of his life, those last words that you have they carry more weight and more meaning, and they're 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 points that you want to bring a, a, across and so i I end my emails now and my instagram accounts called p s live inspired um it's It's sort of this parting thought that life's too short to waste. And don't forget, just find that thing that inspires you, that, that sort of fills that, that void inside you. And this is this, um, it's a sense of, of appreciating the world around you and, and, and growing a sense of awe, I guess. Um, and whether it's, it's, taking time to notice just the small little details, the small little gestures. Someone opens a door for you. Uh, someone does something really kind for you. Or maybe it's these really big, grand things that you spot in the world around you, big ideas about humanity or living well. Whatever it is, just find those things that, that help us to live well. And it's, it's uh, P.S. Live Inspired. And just a reminder, just to go back to the goodness of life.
1: Yeah, that's that's beautiful. Uh, tell me about some of these things. What are some of these things that have inspired you over these last couple of years of COVID world, and uh, <laughs> that contain that the things that inspire you today to carry on? Yeah. Oh gosh, uh, great great question.
0: Uh, <clears throat> I, I well, quite recently I went on this um, with a bunch of guys. We went uh, to the mountains and we did a, a, a weekend. And it was this collision of um, several things coming together, and I just it it was just overwhelmingly beautiful and and this we're sort of almost talking about the the macro here uh, we I was with a bunch of other guys, and lots I hadn't really connected with before, but there was something about walking and just these little conversations and the drifting of one conversation between couple guys and then it would turn to a group of three and group of five and then just another two people walking together. There's a sense of um uh there's there's this term collective effervescence mm-hmm. uh and the sense of when you're working together with someone else and you feel that your uh your hearts are beating together, you know, whether you're at a, a concert together or you're at an event where you're doing something uh, you know, like a fun run together. It could be something like that, or you're just, you have a shared experience with something. There's an effervescence about it. Mm. And there was that with the connecting with the guys, but then also being in the mountains, I it's, it's hard not to feel a sense of inspiration, these huge skies, these monolithic, um, mountains and, and trying to understand how, how did they get here? and and we're walking on these things. We feel so insignificant, and yet, in these conversations, I feel significant at that same moment. And then you're 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 looking at these beautiful little bits of moss, these vibrant green moss growing on the tops of the mountains. No other vegetation, and snows just sort of uh, filling those those little bits. Uh, you just those sorts of things. I just it does something wildly. Uh, you know, amazing uh, within there. I think people's uh, generosity as well. You know, these these moments where people step, you know, you you mentioned COVID. I remember one of my colleagues uh, came and and sort of visited. I'd had my heart issue and I was recovering. They couldn't come in the house because of COVID, but she could come and talk from the doorstep. It was freezing outside and Mm -hmm. she'd come prepared with this great big sort of woolly hat. And she had this little chair, and she set it up on the doorstep, and she sat out there. And we had this conversation, and just you know, that was beautiful. It was really beautiful. This, this sense of of connection that that uh, that we had on that that day. So yeah, yeah, I I think when I think about inspiration, it's it's things like that, and I think um, as this is sort of an art podcast, it only seems fitting to, to talk about uh, art, and not only art that's, that's sort of created um, as like a, a, a painting, but the act of creativity itself. And sometimes, you know, I go to into London and I walk around, and some of the buildings are extraordinary. You know, the sense of just looking up and seeing these amazing sculptural buildings that and just paying attention to some of the details in there. Uh, Right. That's that's
1: amazing. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I feel like the recurring theme here is inspiration is really all around us, and we can find it really once we start looking and we allow ourselves to be inspired, to live in an inspired way. Yeah. So can I ask you, Nishant, uh, What sort of things inspire you? Well, uh, so directly, you know, uh, inspiring my art. My art is very deeply inspired by just this experience we have of living together in a city. So COVID is a a big part of the things that have moved me towards the kind of things I do. Like I started my Mm -hmm. podcast during early COVID. I started writing a newsletter early in COVID. And both of these things are very, a very deep part of my self-expression now. And I, in the process of sharing every week what I'm thinking, what I'm drawing, and why I'm drawing it, I've come upon a lot of good answers for what moves me, what inspires mm. me to do things. I think I take so much inspiration from just these unspoken agreements and cooperations between people you know, like you're at a bus stop and people are standing in line and then they'll get into the bus and this bus is then going to go to all of these directions that all of us want to go to. (laughs) Or you get in a train with people you don't even know and potentially don't even want to know. But you're all in it to get to from point A to point B and that's why the train is running. That's why the cafe is running. That's why the restaurants work. That's why the cinema halls work. There's this unspoken cooperation and mutual agreement on certain norms and terms between citizens of the same place, between communities, between societies, between complete strangers who have nothing else in common except that they Mm. decided to live in this same city. Yeah, And I find that is so fascinating. As an immigrant in most of the cities I have lived uh, in my life, certainly in all the cities I've lived in the last 13 years, I've become very conscious of this idea that people are traveling through the world and we are looking for a sense of belonging. And that sense of belonging comes out of many different things. Like That sense of belonging can come out of holding a passport or a visa card for a certain place. It can also come out of having the same bus ticket or the bus uh, public transit pass that you swipe on your way in and knowing that everybody uses this same thing. And now I'm part of this system. Mm. Sitting in the park and letting things happen, watching, really allowing myself to notice the world. I think this process of like using a sketchbook, letting the sketchbook give me permission to sit in this otherwise foreign environment for Mm. an hour and just observe these complete strangers whose way of life I am not privy to I didn't grow up around them I have not, I don't know how these spaces work but as long as I have my sketchbook, as long as I'm drawing inside it, I am allowed to be in their space, quote unquote Mm -mm. I think it's been so inspiring to see the world and to realize that there there is beautiful things there are beautiful things in all these little everyday interactions and occurrences. Mm -hmm. I take a lot of inspiration from all the various artists that I look up to, like music Mm -hmm. is a big part of my life. I'm a big reader. I love looking at art. And in all of these forms of expression, like what I see at all is the the common thread through all of this is this urge to express yourself, Mm -hmm. to express maybe some... Uh, deviant thinking or something that strays from the norm that's what makes it remarkable like you think something that not everybody has thought and then you put it together as a song or as a movie Mm -hmm. or as a TV Mm -hmm. show or as a piece of art or a book or a haiku or a poem and you share it and maybe somebody connects with it and they feel the same way or they Mm -hmm. see it and they understand you better through this I think that's such a beautiful thing. And I feel like my whole life has been about finding these mediums of expression that allow me to say things. So Mm. I look for them everywhere, even when they are intentional, even when they are unintentional. And I try to pick them apart and I try to see how they work and I let them inspire me. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah.
0: I, I think about... So what you're saying there, and I think when you can create something that moves someone else, uh, that is meaningful to someone else, that that you you create something and it, in some way life is illuminated. I think that's the, those are the, those are the times that bring me the greatest joy, is when you you create something that taps into. An emotion or a feeling or self-worth and you're able to to conjure that that up in some way.
1: Indeed it's the superpower of being an artist that (laughs) we can do this sometimes in just an hour sometimes in even half an hour and it's worth doing just for that reason.
0: Yeah definitely wow oh
1: cool yeah well Thank you so much, Jeff, for this really illuminating conversation. I feel like I've learned so much. And thank you for sharing this incredible experience of your life with me. It was my absolute, absolute pleasure. Uh, Thank you for
0: having me on.